Welcome into the latest episode of the Five Reasons Podcast. I'm Ethan Skolnick here as always with Chris Winningham. Now that you've found us, make sure that you hit the subscribe or follow button on your favorite podcast provider. That way you'll get all of our old episodes as well as every new episode as soon as it posts. Just also make sure to turn on your notifications because that's necessary on some apps. Also, check out the other podcasts in our network. We now have 12 others. We cover every South Florida sports, some of them with more than just one podcast. We're also in Spanish language. Got to check out Cinco Razones. They had on Stefano Fusaro. My accent is not that great, Chris, as you know, <laughs> uh, this past week. And he's actually been. You, you, uh, said, it more, you said it more Italian than Hispanic. Stefano. I, yeah, I, 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 sh- I should know how to do this at this stage, <laughs> you would think. Uh, I, live in, I live in a bilingual, actually almost trilingual house at this point. But uh, I, when I start speaking in Mandarin, Chris, that means you know, my daughter has, <laughs> has, has worn on me. Um, but uh, Stefano was on uh, Cinco Rosonas this past week, and he has been. Uh, in my view, the ESPN reporter has been most on top of the Jimmy Butler story. We might have him on our pod here later this week. But what we're going to do is a little bit of a break from format today, Chris, um, because there's just a lot going on. I mean, we, we went through the summer. We started this podcast in, in January. We started the network in mid-March. And we went through some pretty dry periods in terms of sports, like July after free agency and the Heat didn't do anything. It's pretty dull until we got to Dolphins training camp. Things are not dull right now. And so what we're going <laughs> to do is we're going we're gonna to tackle three different topics today, three different teams. We're going to start here uh, with the Dolphins and the catastrophe of today. I'll get into in a minute sort of my viewing experience of that. Uh, then we're going to get into Kane's FSU uh, because you and I have a dispute about old takes exposed and one of my <laughs> tweets from Saturday. And, and, and then the third one, and I know that's what most of you probably are here for, is, and, and I, I got to be honest, we've, I feel like we've neglected it on the pod because I've done so much on Twitter and because it's been such a fluid story. And, and, and frankly, it is the danger of this format, right. which is, you know, if you're doing a live radio show, uh, it, it is sort of of the moment, right? Whereas we, we you know, we'll put this podcast on a Monday morning. And maybe by the time you are listening to this, Jimmy Butler will have been traded. And so, like, every day we'll go, well, I mean, we could do a Jimmy Butler podcast today, but we really don't know if it's going to happen today. And so, like, we don't know if we're taping something that's going to just be dead in six hours. So that's kind of been our approach to the whole thing. And it's two and a half weeks later. Right. And and we, we haven't done we haven't covered it very much on the pod. Which is odd because, uh, you know, I, I believe our network has been out front on a lot of this, and, and yet people have come to us, and we really haven't done anything, like you said, on audio. We've done it all on Twitter and some on the HeatBeatMiami.com website, although not a lot. And so I, I want to make sure that we hit it today with the understanding that if you're listening to this pod and you don't hear it, the reason for that is because Jimmy Butler has been traded somewhere, <laughs> and we decided to take it out uh, because obviously what we're saying here won't totally apply, but I have a pretty good hunch on what's going to happen and we'll cover that in the third part of the pod. But first, let's do this. Uh, let's get to the catastrophe in Cincinnati. And just, you know, total disclosure here, Chris, I didn't see the first, the, excuse me, I didn't see the last four minutes live. Um, I had to get to an event uh, tonight. And so I'll, more on that at some later date, but I had to get to an event. And and so we were, people were talking about it at this event because this event was in Weston and there were a lot of Dolphin fans, including the person who was hosting the event. And so I had an idea what was happening. Didn't really get a chance to watch it until I came back. And all I got to say is, oof. Um, <laughs> I just, you know what? Uh, yeah, I, and, and here's the thing about it. Um, 
you know, it, before the season, I, I think both you and I felt a little better about the Dolphins than a lot of people. I know three yards per carry, our Dolphins pod felt better about the Dolphins than a lot of people. And I think if you would have looked at the first five games and said, you come out of those five games, three and two, uh, that would have been about right, actually. Um, I don't think anybody expected Cincinnati to be that good this year. And I think you expected New England to be a loss, but you thought you'd probably lose one of those first three games. Maybe you lose up at the Jets because that's a rivalry game. We see what happens with Miami FSU. Those games tend to be close. Maybe you lose the home opener against a Titans team that did make the playoffs. All right, so I think you look at it in totality, and you say three and two is about where you'd expect. The problem is the way they've gotten to three and two. And the problem now is that Dolphin fans are not going to see a lot of hope because their worst fears in a lot of areas are starting to get confirmed. And I'm going to start with three, Chris, and and you tell me if there are others here that pop up to you. Uh, The first one is the offensive line. And that, when I watch the last four minutes, is what really, you know, strikes you. And I understand, I understand completely that it is a lot to take to lose your starting left guard that you invested a lot of money in and sitting, to lose your starting center, who didn't look so great, to be honest, early this season in Daniel Kilgore, but at least he was a starting caliber center or so you thought. And then during this game to lose your left tackle, Laramie Tunsil, who had looked over the past three weeks like he was turning into a pretty good left tackle. So I totally get that. And I understand that offensive line depth is hard to come by, Chris. But oh my freaking god! Like I mean, I mean seriously, and and, no, it's, and a catastrophe. I, it's a catastrophe. And I mean, Sam Young should should not be playing on FSU's offensive line, let alone <laughs> let alone the Dolphins. It's and, and look, I I saw the tweets. Okay, uh, OJ McDuffie, who I ex- I respect enormously, he hosts our Fish Tank Pod. OJ's very passionate about his teams, but he usually I, and. Penn State in particular, but also he's a Panther season ticket holder. He's a huge Marlins fan because he's a baseball guy. He's a huge Heat fan. Just check my texts when I'm covering the team, and he was texting me questions to ask Bolster at press conferences. OJ takes his sports very, very seriously. He's very careful, though, not to criticize the Dolphins, and he kind of went in on Ryan Tannehill on Twitter after this game, okay? Mm -hmm. And so I'm watching those last four minutes with that type of context, And yet, as I watched the last four minutes, I'm like, what did you expect Ryan Tannehill to do? (laughs) Where is he supposed to go? Is he supposed to step on top of of Bengals defenders while he makes his throws? Because there wasn't anywhere to step up, Chris. So let's start with that one. What the hell can they do about their offensive line right now? Yeah, I hope that there's somebody on the scrap peep somewhere that some other team doesn't want or isn't available to anyone, or you can sign them off somebody's practice squad, uh, or make a trade. I, I, if you're that desperate to save your season, which I hope they're not, if you're that desperate to save your season, maybe trading. For, but it, like you said, it's so it's hard enough to find five starting caliber offensive linemen. God knows uh, we're taping this during Sunday Night Football. The Houston Texans have the worst line in the NFL. Well, until the Dolphins start start. You know, playing, throwing out this line every week, then they'll get into that conversation. But coming into the season, and it's been proven during the season by Pro Football Focus, the Texans have the worst offensive line in football. If there were offensive linemen available that could help them, they would absolutely be looking for them. But there just aren't. And we talk all the time about not having 32 quality, you know, NFL offensive linemen. Then there damn sure aren't. What's 32 times five? 160 quality NFL offensive linemen. Like that's clearly not the case. And so. For the Dolphins to be digging beyond uh, their starting group, which 
I think you saw in the first game of the season was pretty quality. Like, I think when they were fully healthy, it was pretty good. When Sitton went out, then it became a little frightening. And then and then you take Tunsil out of the equation. And it's just a dumpster fire. And how many times have we seen this? Like, I thought yesterday's uh, Miami FSU game was going to be ruined by offensive line play because Miami was averaging two yards per carry in, in, in the fourth quarter of the game before they got into the stage where they were killing the game off. And Homer and DJ Dallas had a bit more success. But, my God, my whole life I've watched bad offensive line play like I have not watched a dominant offensive line I don't I, I wouldn't say my whole life like I'd say probably the first line with Jake Long in it when he was a rookie was pretty solid but it, it's been the story of this town in football for 10 years that they don't get good offensive line play and often it just ruins everything and now I, I'm not going to absolve Ryan Tannehill uh, I, I by the way I as much as you can go in on Ryan Tannehill I, I don't think it would be for the last four minutes I think it would be for what preceded it like once you're 20 to 17 down I saw Adam Beasley tweet this only an interception saves you only a turnover saves right. you at that point because they just were not going to go the length of the field when Geno Atkins who's one of the five best defensive linemen in football on a Fort Lauderdale product is going against a combination of uh, Ted Larson uh, you, you know I, I, Travis Swanson whose name I, I can barely remember and if he God forbid he goes on a stunt then he's going at Sam Young like it's just a complete and utter disaster on the left side of that line which is Tannehill's blind side he was trying to step up and there was just nowhere to go and you're absolutely right that offensive line it, I think the offensive line ruined the comeback effort and the injuries mm -hmm. that ruined the comeback effort but I think the game was long lost before that well, we'll talk about Tannehill here in a second, but I, you know, I, again, I, look, we talked about roster construction this off season and I liked a lot of what they did, but we also talked about depth on the offensive line was going to be an issue. And, you know, the only guy that we had any confidence in at all was Ted Larson. And some of the guys in our network did not have confidence in him or only had confidence in him playing center. Okay. So they just look, they kept four quarterbacks, Chris. And so one of them just went on IR. Like mm -hmm. they kept four quarterbacks. And, like, then, I, and, then I they, and then they brought in a tight end to replace him. Right. So I, I just, I don't get it. Like, I, I mean, look, you have to, you have to be backstopped at that position. You just do. And I know you're not going to get, you know, starting quality once you get past maybe your sixth guy. Okay. I, I totally understand that, but this has been a recurring problem for so long and they've had I mean I remember years ago they got a guy named Nate Garner who they, who was a, they were able to plug in at three different positions and it was like this revelation because you had a backup offensive lineman who didn't freaking kill you okay and mm -hmm. this and and they just have not had enough of those and it's just it looked uh, they've had bad starters I mean you mentioned when they had Jake Long like they, they had Jake Long and then they gave all this money to Justin Smiley and Jake Grove right mm -hmm. and, and that yep. that didn't work and those guys came in hurt it's just been I mean, we, we had Richmond Webb on our pod and like, you know, Keith Sims. And you just think about what that was like. I mean, you that was before you were born, Chris. Like, I mean, I, when, when they had that kind of line play, they just haven't had it in forever. I just want to read the OJ quote here as we get into sort of part two for me of the Dolphins thing, which is, and again, I'm going to say this, McDuffie's extraordinarily passionate about his teams. It's the reason I can't get him to a Dolphin watch party because he has a routine that he goes through for every Dolphins game. Like he's got to be, you know, sitting in a certain place. And so, so he takes this stuff seriously, but here was his tweet. My biggest problem with our team is that I'm never confident we can put a game winning drive together when we need it. That starts with a guy with the ball in his hands. Now, that tweet got, as we're talking now at 9 p.m., as we're taping this, 152 comments, 244 retweets, and 763 likes. 
Um, I mean, OJ doesn't have a million followers. He's got about 13,000. Okay. So I, look, that's a large contingent of his followers that related to that tweet. And two people who related to that tweet, Keith Sims, who doesn't Keith still work for the Dolphins in some capacity? I, I thought he did. Uh, I don't know. It would have to be in a non front facing position because I, oh. he, he does not appear on any of their media. Okay. He used to. Um, mm-hmm. Keith liked it. And Keith Byers liked it. Remember Keith Byers? And now yeah. look, I, and I, I understand those three guys are all spoiled. And I would say this to OJ because they played with the greatest quarterback <laughs> in Dolphins history and perhaps the greatest quarterback of all time. And, and so I, I totally get that. Okay. But I do think this has been bubbling under the surface for a while. And as we move to Tannehill, it is something we need to address because just former players, people around the team, I've been hearing this for the last six years. He's not good enough. He's not good enough. He's not good enough. He's okay, but he's not good enough. Okay. And and nobody's really verbalized it in terms of somebody who's considered to be sort of what I would call Dolphins royalty, right? Like the, the, you know, in fact, Jason Taylor, uh, who is close with OJ has always been very supportive publicly of Ryan. Okay. Like out there supportive of Ryan. So this is sort of the first time that I've heard any of this, but here's what I want to get to with Ryan. You're right about this. Okay. He's not a good road quarterback. Um, there's just enough evidence here to suggest that CK's talked about it. I, I finally found the splits. Okay. You have to go to about 12 sites, but CK found them <laughs> for me on Yahoo. Okay. The career splits. He's played now 41 games on the road and 41 games at home in his career. His passer rating at home is close to 92. That's slightly above average. His passer rating on the road is around 81 after today. That's below average. Now, I know, and I know listeners are going to say this, that most quarterbacks have a split that's different, okay? You're going to be a better quarterback at home. I get that. I understand that. The problem is where Ryan's numbers suffer. A lot more sacks on the road, a lot more interceptions on the road, a lot more fumbles on the road. And I know also that a lot of people are going to say, okay, that's the case for most quarterbacks. But if you have a guy who you think is a top 12 quarterback, he's got to rise above that. He can't have the mistakes. And I'm saying that even as... Like I said, he would have had to have sort of stepped on hot coals, okay, okay, <laughs> okay, okay, to, to make plays at the end of that game with what basically playing with, I think, one functioning offensive lineman. So I understand that. But I think what we've seen through the first five games, and you and I both have said he's fine, he's fine, he's fine, but I think we've seen he's never going to be more than fine. And, and I just think we have to come to that realization. And the third person we're going to talk about after you come in on this is Adam Gase, and I believe that one of the problems with Adam Gase now is he's clearly hitched himself to the wrong ride. And that's certainly something that if if you're going to construct and you know the the way that Adam Gase feels about his quarterback, it's very strongly like he is all in on Ryan Tannehill, and he has been throughout all of 2017. He was clearly throughout the draft process because. I, I, you know, Arizona's first play from scrimmage today was a 75-yard bomb from Josh Rosen to Christian Kirk. Josh Rosen was there for the taking. Like, it would not have taken much for the Dolphins to go and get Josh Rosen. And all four rookie quarterbacks that were drafted in the top 10 started and won today for their respective teams. You look at Baker Mayfield winning it overtime over Pittsburgh, Josh Allen winning at home today against the Titans. When you look at Josh Rosen winning today in San Francisco and who, and, uh, and 
who am I missing? Sam Darnold today, winning for the Jets, and not just winning, but completing bombs. Like he was dropping, you know, thirty-plus yard touchdown passes for the Jets in their home win over Denver. So the rookies are doing well, and they're getting opportunities, and they're flourishing. And one of those guys was there for the taking, with you know a, a minimal amount of assets thrown down on the table. So there were opportunities for Adam Gates to go and find another quarterback. And he has not taken them. Uh, and as a matter of fact, they kind of doubled down on Ryan Tannehill this offseason by restructuring his contract to where if they wanted to release him next year, it's $13 million in dead money. And so this is the Dolphins quarterback at the very least for this year. And you wonder sort of if, you know, push comes to shove and Adam Gase is told, well, you're going to have to change your quarterback. And he says, no, well, you're right. Like maybe his wagon is hitched to Ryan Tannehill. I'm going to say that today was in large part on him because it's on, it's in large part on the offense. And you can't blame the running game because at halftime they were averaging six yards a carry. Now, maybe you can say they didn't run the ball enough or use Frank Gore enough, but you know, Ryan Tannehill, for as long as he's been the Dolphins quarterback, has had a problem with having passes batted at the line of scrimmage. And in the first half, it, it wasn't just on the offensive line. Like, there were dump-offs that could have been completed that there were bats, that, uh, that there were passes batted. And, yeah, there was a couple of drops in there as well. Kenyon Drake had a bad one on the first drive of the game. But I just I don't think Ryan Tannehill did nearly enough to win this game today. And by the way, I, I don't think he's turning a good road performance yet this season. I think at the Jets, they won the game. They were they're up three scores at the break, just like they were today in the third quarter. But the first two touchdowns were set up by turnovers today. It was, you know, he, he was only responsible for 10 of the points and it was a great drive like that. That one offensive drive they had today that led to a long touch. It was 95 yards, 90 yards, something like that. Brilliant offense, but that was it. Like they had another field goal drive and they got up on return for a touchdown. So you basically look at it. They got 14 points off turnovers against the jets. They today only scored 10 offensive points. And last week against the Patriots, Ryan Tannehill was shut out. He had 10 offensive drives and failed to score. Like, that is simply not good enough to win on the road. And like you said, circumstances are a part of this. Offensive line is a part of this. Lack of a running game is part of this. But today, I think through the first three, like while Laramie Tunsil was in the game, the offensive line was good enough. And I think in previous games, maybe receivers didn't get didn't get open enough against the Patriots, but I think enough has been there for Ryan Tannehill to do more than he has, and whether it's coming off a major knee injury and he still needs time to acclimate, like, dude, he's 30, man. And and today, it just sort of, yeah. like, he's 30. What are we going to Are we gonna keep smacking our heads yeah. against the wall until he's 35? And we're, we're looking around going, it's 2022. What are we still doing here? Like, at a certain point, you have to cut bait. Well, the problem is uh, it's not just that they didn't go get any of those guys, um, the Rosens, the Darnolds and whatever. And I understand draft position played into that because they were drafting 11th and all those guys went before they went. OK, and and so you had to be 10. aggressive. I mean, it, it wasn't, it wasn't well, that unreachable. They, they could have. Correct. I, I get that. But uh, to me, the biggest issue is not only do they double down with the contract and we've talked about this many times, they double down by giving him no competition again, again, right. It's like, it's like, it's like they've just decided like Teddy Bridgewater might've been competition. Like new Orleans made a decision. Okay. That they have drew Brees, who's still playing at a pretty high level. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And you know, and Joe Flacco have, won a freaking super bowl and they got them competition. Okay. Not competition maybe for now, but at least 
for the future, which gives them flexibility to make decisions down the road, depending on when those guys can no longer perform at a high level. And the Dolphins, again, they've babied Tannehill to such a degree that it's just like, okay, we're not going to have anybody in there who could be a threat to him. Anybody, okay? We're going to give him Brock Osweiler, all right? I mean, that's what we're going to give him. We're going to give him a guy who basically Houston, okay, sent to Cleveland, right? And the only trade I can I can ever remember that was like this in the NFL. This was an mm-hmm. NBA trade. We talked about it. This was a trade basically like to get you take $18 million of someone to get a draft pick. Like that happens in the NBA all the time. It does not happen in the NFL. Just so Houston could get rid of him. And Adam Gase decided this was going to be the guy who was going to push Ryan Tannehill. No, he decided I don't want anybody to push Ryan Tannehill. Okay. Ryan Tannehill can't be pushed. And so now Adam Gase is going to be in a position. I want to transition to number three here, but Adam Gase is going to be in a position where he's hitched his wagon, okay, to basically, you know, a car with three, you know, a wagon with three wheels. I mean, that that's that that's where they're at. And and I, again, I think Brian Tannehill is fine if everything else breaks right around him. But what we've seen is that it's already breaking down around him. And part of that is roster construction. Part of it is untimely injuries. I mean, look, Rashad Jones came back today and you could see a ma- massive difference. Huge. Okay. Right. And he is their best player. Okay. Like, He's as, the- as much as we're going to be crapping on the Dolphins in this episode, the Dolphins defense was superb today. Did as much like, as it could possibly like, do. Like, yeah. You look at, I mean, okay, you're going to, you're looking at the scoreboard and go, well, you gave up 27 points. No, he didn't give up 13. They gave up right. 13 points today. They created a turnover. They created a turnover. Like the Bengals had had like 40 something straight drives of, uh, of of converting in the red zone into at least points. And on the first two trips today, they failed to convert. Now, one of them was a missed field goal, which, by the way, was blocked. And right. so you had a blocked field goal, and you had, an, you had an interception in the red zone. You gave up 13 points. They were it held Joe Mixon at, like, 19 yards on 10 carries at the half. Like, they were excellent today. You can't ask any more of them. No, Quinn was great. Uh, Minka was great. Rashad was Great as usual. I thought Kiko mm-hmm. was good. Uh, they got a nu- Vincent Taylor. You mentioned the block. I think Vincent Taylor's been a real revelation for them. He's been really good. I, I mean, th- they got plenty on defense. Okay, without having McCain. Okay, with having to shuffle pieces around back on the back end again. Uh, plenty good enough. Okay, linebackers were not a problem. I, it, look, it, it's it, it comes back to this. Okay, and here's part three. Adam Gase. We got to start asking some questions, Chris. We do, Agreed. okay? We, I, I, you know, I, I, they, they made the playoffs at ten and six. I get it. They were basically a flat point differential. Everybody gave him a pass last year because he didn't have his quarterback. Although he brought in his quarterback uh, in Jay Cutler, but I understand the circumstances were challenging. I get it. Okay, uh, he was shuffling players out that he didn't like. But I mean, now I mean, look, it's it's year three. I talked about this on a patron uh, shot that I did. He. They came into the game last in the league in yard in in plays per drive. Okay, they, mm-hmm. I mean they had some big plays, but thirty first thirty first in plays per game. Right. Okay. They can't sustain drives. Their first drive of the game is always dog shit. Okay. It just is, Chris. <laughs> I mean, it yeah. just, it, it so just right. is. Yeah. Okay. And and that is that is where uh, a good play caller is supposed to make hay because. That's where I mean you're scripting that stuff like that. That's not adjustments during the game. That's I mean, his his mentor, Mike Martz, 
was the best in the league at that. Like those first 15 plays were death. Okay. Like now I know he doesn't, I said this on a previous pod. I know he doesn't have Marshall Falk and Torrey Holt and Isaac Bruce and Isaac Keem. Okay. I get all that. All right. Or Kurt Warner for that matter. Okay. Although I think Kurt Warner, a lot of his success that year, at least was a product of having all the other names I mentioned. Okay. Plus playing on turf and a dome. There were a lot of things that went into that, but, their first 15 plays, I wrote stories about those first 15 plays. Like, I mean, the Dolphins went up to St. Louis and just got demolished, okay, in the first five minutes of that game. Like, if you're a really good play caller, like, you have enough pieces on offense, okay? Wilson, not used enough, again. Uh, Grant, okay, some of the other pieces that they have, stills, hardly used at all today, okay? Uh, They finally got Drake involved as a receiver out of the backfield. I still think he should be getting the lion's share of the carries, not Gore, but that's another issue. But Look, he's got enough to work with that they shouldn't be so anemic early in games, and they're consistently anemic early in games. And so I said this on the last pod, and I'm going to say it again. He needs to give up play-calling duties. And I know that fans are going to say, well, that's what he's here for. That's why we hired him. I get that. I understand that. But as I said with Cam Cameron, it's why they hired Cam Cameron too, because that's what he was really good at. And you know what? He wasn't good at it while coaching the team and they went one in 15. And although this team is not going one in 15, obviously worst case three and 13, I think they're looking more like seven and nine, eight, eight at this point. Okay. Unless they get more injuries, it could get worse, but I just don't understand, you know, some of the decisions he makes the absolute refusal to run the ball on third and short. I yeah. just, no, I, and, and I, the, I just don't get it. I there, don't get there, it. There's there's two plays that kind of change the fortune of the game. Uh, one is that third and one, that third and short play that you just mentioned, uh, where instead of running the ball, you had just gotten five yards with Frank Gore and four yards with Frank Gore. By the way, I, I'm going to disagree with you on on Kenyon Drake getting the lion's share of the carries. Right now, Frank Gore is a better running back, and and I, understanding that Kenyon Drake is a much higher ceiling, I like the way that they use Kenyon Drake today, which is if you're not going to get two and three yards on a regular basis. We got someone who will. Frank Gore might be the best in the league at setting up second and seven. And right. and he and he's did the job today. I thought he was really yep. good. And Frank Gore got you five yards and then four yards. And then you run a play action, which is, you know, a, a motion that I've seen a bazillion times. It seems like every offensive coordinator in the NFL Whenever it's third down and one, it's we're going to run a play action to the run left, and we're going to send the tight end across the formation for him to run a two-yard route, you know, past the sticks so we can get a first down. I mean, the Bengals saw it coming. I mean, hell, if I can see it coming, then professional defenders can see it coming too. The safety read it. The play was done, and he launched it downfield. But it's you got five yards and then four yards with Frank Gore, and then the other one too was just the moronic, uh, you know, uh, unsportsmanlike conduct penalty following a punt. That had the bang that, that had the Bengals pinned in deep. It was just stupid, and so I like there. Those are kind of you know turnaround plays in the game. But you're right, like the 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 play calling with Gase in those situations is unnecessary. Not only is it unnecessary, it's it's repetitive. Uh, it, it, he keeps doing it, and and I've tweeted this so many times that I I didn't even do it today, but. People will think Adam Gase is smart if this team makes the playoffs. Like, you don't have to throw in every third and one yep. to show how smart you are. You just don't. Just just do what's most effective. And, I, I again— Particularly you're when gonna, you can't pass protect. <laughs> right, right. When you can't protect at all. And now, now because you're refusing to run the ball in those situations, um, you're not even holding the linemen or the linebackers at all because there's— uh, they know you're throwing, okay? And so there's there's no trickery to this. Like, teams don't go into this and say, oh, it's third and two. Uh, oh, my God, the Dolphins threw. No, they're going to throw. Right. They throw every time, okay? Right. And so I, I just I, – I don't 
I don't get it. And I think that they're going to need to look seriously at this because, yes, I know it raises longer term issues about whether Adam Gase is the right coach for this team. Let's get to that later. Okay. For right now, what's not working is him running the team and calling the plays because even though they're three and two, as you mentioned, their offense has been horrible. It's not good. Okay. It's, and it's, it got worse after today. I haven't looked at all the numbers, but in all the relevant categories, third down conversion, okay, you know, plays per game, how long you're actually possessing the ball, yards per attempt, all that stuff, they're, okay, they're bottom of the league. They're like bottom seven or eight of the league. They're in that bottom quartile, okay? And and that that is not good enough because the defense has played well enough this year. It's played well enough, okay? And there were questions about it, but a lot of the guys that you needed to step up have stepped up. And like I said, when Rashad Jones is healthy, I always throw out the last two games for the defense because he's that important to them. Mm-hmm. When Rashad Jones is healthy, they're a good defense. And so for all the criticism of Matt Burke, like he's coaching a good defense right now. You may not agree with everything he does. Adam Gase is not coaching a good offense. And, you know, the other pushback I got on Twitter was, well, they got rid of Christensen and they brought in Dowell Logans. Okay. And what I got on Twitter from people was, well, you can't trust him to call the plays. Then why is he your offensive coordinator? Like right. I, this it's is like, it's like bringing in Brock Osweiler to be Tannehill's backup. It, right. You're, 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 you're bringing in an offensive coordinator who can't possibly take the play, play calling responsibilities from you. Correct. Okay. So is this just an ego thing with him? Does he not want to be challenged? Does he not want his quarterback challenged? Does he not want his choice of quarterback challenged? Well, I, I know for sure. I, I don't think he will ever be the Dolphins coach and not call the plays. I think he would sooner ask to be fired before giving up that responsibility. Uh, well, and, and we've had other guys in our network who've said the same, um, that actually one of them, I believe, uh, and this is common knowledge, Simon Clancy, uh, you know, covers, it co- comes to some games every year. He's coming to a couple, um, coming over from London on three yards per carry. And uh, and he, he asked Gase flat out and got a very dismissive answer last year on it. So I, I don't think he's going to give it up. I agree with you, but I'll go back to the story that I told last week when cam Cameron was hired i talked to his mentors people like al saunders and others about the dual responsibility of calling plays and running a team and all of them said he shouldn't do it all of them and i remember cam called me okay after that didn't know him well at the time but i just started to cover him he called me through the dolphins to discuss the story and said i thought you talked to some interesting people i don't agree with them but i think you talked to some interesting people they went one in 15 the interesting people were right okay i i think for some coaches it's just too much and you don't see that many of them do it and we've seen over the years like wasn't there i wasn't there a run that the eagles made when andy reed gave up those responsibilities i seem to remember well, that well it was la- last year i mean the uh, the kansas city chiefs Midway through the season, it might have been the year before, uh, they, they turned over play calling to Matt Nagy, who's now the head coach mm-hmm. of the Bears, and all, like their offense the next week was like, they scored like 45 points the next week, and they went on a crazy second half run. I, I don't know if remember if that was last year or the year before that, but Andy Reid turned it over, and next thing you know, it's it, you know, it's totally turning around. Like it, it can be a lot. I, I don't know what those responsibilities look like. All I know is that when I've been to training camp practices and I've seen open practices, like Adam Gay spends all his time, not just with the offense, with the quarterback in particular that's why he's there and but that's problematic but Chris that's problematic see see I I just think that's I I understand what you're saying it's why he was hired and I get it and the Dolphins keep falling into this trap of hiring a particular coach like who coaches a certain side of the ball okay Mm -hmm. and then basically entrusting him with that side of the ball and the other side of the ball gets neglected this happened with Jimmy it happened with Dave okay I was there with Dave and it happened with Nick, okay? 
it used to fascinate me to go to practices or at least training camp when you could see all of it and watch Saban with the defensive backs. He was a freaking master with them, okay? Total control of the entire situation, running the drills with them, going through everything with them. It was exceptional stuff, okay? And, you know, I would talk to offensive players and he'd be like, yeah, he hasn't talked to me in three weeks. <laughs> okay? Okay? I mean, we, we've we talked to Chris Chambers about this. Remember, uh, Chris, and Chris had a good relationship with Nick. He was one of the few, him and JT are two of the only guys who did. And he talked about a meeting that he had with Nick where Nick said to him, you know, we're putting it on you this year. And he ended up having, a, that was Chambers' Pro Bowl year. I think that was 2005. And But Chambers said he didn't talk to him very often. The offensive players didn't consult with him. I'm not around this team, okay? I've, I've never dealt with Adam Gase. I've dealt with six other Dolphin head coaches, okay? Obviously, I switched to the Heat, and I was covering that, and so I haven't been around Gase since he got hired. But I'd be curious, okay, to find out from our guys who are around there to ask, like, how much Gase actually deals with players besides those involved in the passing game. Because I, I feel like it's just the passing game. It's, mm -hmm. it's Tannehill, but then, but, but, most part, in the receivers. But doesn't that beg the question, well, then why is the passing game so bad? Well, why, that's what, problematic. Why does it seem like right. they're so short on ideas? Why does it seem like it's you know a very vanilla scheme? Like that, like that's, that, that's the thing to me that's most alarming. And, and Channing Crowder was banging on about this when we did the pregame show this morning, was I want to see some creativity from Adam Gase. Like, I, I saw concepts that I mostly see coaching high school football, like, it should be a lot more than that, given that this is his specialty and this is what he wants. Now, I do think there's a certain amount of, and I think you really saw it in effect in the first three weeks of the season when it's like, they're 3-0 and and Tannehill's quarterback rating's 121. Well, it's like, well, Adam Gase is engineering that. He's engineering no mistakes, short passes, we're going to get rid of the ball quickly, and we're going to run some basic concepts, and I'm going to engineer a quarterback rating of 121. But then it comes down to a late-game situation. Your quarterback needs to make a play, and they, they can't figure out routes downfield. They can't get 15 yards and go out of bounds. It's like – and, and you mentioned the play calling towards the end of the game. And it's, you know, they dumped it off to Kenyon Drake. Like, yeah. I, I Yeah, I, yeah I that, that, that one, I, that one. I, 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 and I already knew the result, Chris. I yeah. already knew the result. And I threw something at the television. Okay, like, <laughs> I mean, it's just – Right, it's I, like I, it's, it's third down and 20. You're I, down I, 10 with a minute 40 to go, and Kenyon Drake's catching a ball two yards behind the line of scrimmage. What are we I, doing? I, 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 I don't – I don't – I mean, I, I think you ask a good question, okay? I think he needs to give up play calling. I don't know to who, okay? And that's another problem here on this team. But but you're right. If he if he can't get the play calling right with, you know, the quarterback and the passing game and the passing game looks like crap, then you got to start asking the question, why is he here? And, and if, if I were in his position and I had brought in somebody I have confidence in to call the plays, if not me, and I was willing to give that up, then I might look at it and say, OK, I need to fix the rest of this or I'm not going to be the coach here very long. And, you know, it doesn't seem like that's a priority. So, I look, I, we'll talk about more over the course of the week. I'm sure we'll do another episode on the Dolphins. But those were the three things people are going to be talking about. Offensive line, Tannehill and Gase. And, I, you know, they play the Bears this upcoming week. Oof. You know, the, Bear, the Bears oh have figured God. it out pretty quickly with Mitch Trubisky. Um, they have an absolute terror on the outside in Khalil that, Mack. That's the concern is that. And, and, and if, I, if I were them, I, I would just line him up on the opposite side the whole week. I, I just, uh, you know, and just let Sam Young have a taste, okay? Like, I, you know, or whoever it is at left tackle. I mean, whatever it is that, that the Dolphins do in offensive line. Juwan James also, I mean, another penalty today. Uh, I mean, he's been penalty prone. I, it's, it's a mess, man. And, and, it's, and the problem is now they lose the two games on the road and they come home 
And if they go down early in this game, you know how Dolphin fans get, particularly when they're angry at the coach and the quarterback. I mean, we, we saw it We saw it during the University of Miami game that they yep. won against Florida State. I, I went back and watched the uh, the condensed version of the game on YouTube because I was at the stadium. I wanted to see if it you know came through on television. There were loud boos when they handed the ball off. I want to say on third down and 16 uh, when, you know, they're, they're trying to come back in the game and they handed the ball. They handed the ball off three straight times and punted. And, like, there were loud boos for a team that ended up beating their rival and had, like, a, an incredible evening. They were still in the middle of that booze. And the, 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 the Miami crowd is not afraid to get the boo birds out. Yeah, I know. It's just, look, they get depressed. They get frustrated. I mean, especially if Jimmy Butler isn't traded by then. So <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll, see, we'll see where that goes. All right, Chris, we'll get to the next part of episode here in a second. But I want to tell everybody about BetDSI.com. That's where you got to go if you want to gamble on just about anything. You can gamble on football. We're going to be talking about some basketball here later in the podcast. You can do the over-unders for the entire season. You can bet soccer. You can bet MMA. If, well, if Connor ever decides to come back, we'll see what happens <laughs> there. Uh, you can bet just about anything, and you can do it with our promo code REASON101 to get your money matched up to $2,500 on your initial deposit. All right, so let's let's go to number two here. Uh, as we were kind of doing like a little outline today. So we did three points on the Dolphins. Uh, let's get to the Canes, and let's get to my cold take um, because, uh, because we have a dispute. I was going to bring Fred from Old Takes Exposed on today <laughs> to try to settle this for us, uh, but he, uh, he agreed with me, actually, but, uh, but I, certainly we can, we can debate this again. Yeah, he's a Gators uh, fan. I want to hear from him. Well, he's, yeah, he, no, I understand <laughs> he's a Gators fan. I, I understand he's, for, he, you know, he's, he's not a Canes fan. I totally get that. And I'm going to try to find it here where he actually responded to you. But um, basically, look, I, I tweeted, and you told me on our DM string it was a very bad tweet. You scolded me. Where I, 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 <laughs> I, said, I was very emotional at the time. I apologize well, for that. Language. Well, yeah, I mean, you, you take we've discussed this on our network. You take a totally different approach to the Canes than you do to the Heat. Uh, just you're an apologist on the Canes. The Heat can rip off seven out of eight and you'll be like, ah, 43 and 39. But anyway, <laughs> uh, but but back to the Canes. Um, I tweeted that 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 first half performance was more embarrassing than Al Golden's home performance against Clemson. And it's not because they looked worse, although God, they look bad, but it's because the caliber of opponent that they were playing, uh, that should not have happened. Okay. And so I know you're going to, and then I also tweeted uh, about Mark Richt at that point. And look, I've been a Mark Richt supporter. Like I, I was in favor of the hire. I've defended it repeatedly when we did radio. I, I, you know, including against people who were like, he's not a big game coach. And I'm like, I don't care. The Canes haven't been in a big game in 15 years. Let's get there and then worry about it. And, uh, and by I, the way, Mark Rick's big game record so far as not perfect, but better than what you were told, which is he never wins, like literally never wins big games. Right. So I, I've been defending him. Okay. But the numbers are the numbers. And I said, you know, he's had an incredible honeymoon. They're about to go four and five in their last nine games. And the four wins are against Savannah State, Toledo, North Carolina, and FIU. And um, so, of course, people, you know, immediately sent the tweet to Old Takes Exposed uh, as the Canes made that furious uh, second half comeback against the seventh best team in the state of Florida. And and so Be careful. We- Careful. Okay. Okay. Fourth best. So fourth best. You can't argue that. Uh, it's fifth, isn't it? It's, so it's 
I, it might be fifth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I, yeah I put I put them behind UCF, USF too. They're definitely behind UCF. UCF's the best. Yeah, UC. I, I have them worse than UCF, Florida, Miami, and then it's kind of neck and neck between them and uh, and USF. And USF. Okay, so they're better than FAU and FIU, and that's it. Um, mm-hmm. and and I I might take their I I probably take FAU's coach too over over theirs, but mm-hmm. that's a whole nother story. So um, yeah, I mean, look, I, we're gonna talk about the specifics of this. Um. I do not think that was a great win on Saturday, uh, despite the euphoria of it from Canes fans. Uh, rivalry game, you know, my ass on that. Like, I, I mean, oh come on, they're they're, no, they're not. But that, they no, were, that's they, the point, Ethan. The point is, is that Miami, even when they've had better teams than Florida State, has lost that game before. Even when Florida State was Florida State was down last year, and it was seen as a monumental victory because you finally won against Florida State, and Miami had not won at home in the rivalry since 2004. Like it is, it is monumental every time that you beat them, and. I, I don't care how it happened. I really don't. And frankly, like, I actually think that they showed something. And Nkoshi Perry showed th- something above all that he came back from having a pretty poor first half in which the, the Hurricanes really struggled to move the ball and made some huge throws in the game. Like, I, I it is, it, it's not rivalry game, my ass. It's rivalry game. It's a freaking rivalry game. Like, oh, it's, it's hard to on. beat that team, and they didn't do it for seven years. They were losing to Samford in the fourth quarter, Understood. Chris. Understood. I, I mean, I, okay. Uh, look, the defense was phenomenal, okay? Manny Diaz deserves enormous credit. They made great adjustments at halftime. They allowed 40 yards in the entire second half, okay? Defense was phenomenal. Perry made some plays, yes, okay? But to be in that position against that team just shouldn't have happened. And I think what we've seen and- so far from UM, look, North Carolina win aside, okay, which they're not very good, um, is that, look, this is, this is a slightly above average UM team. This is, not, this is not a team that we should be talking about as a top 10 team at this stage. They're not there yet. Um, the defense has some players who are there. Uh, by the way, we should mention the Amon Richards thing is horrible. It's yeah. just it's yeah, horrible. Terrible. And, 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 I, and I feel badly now because you and I talked about the Canes last week, and I kind of compared Amon Richards to Devontae Parker in terms of not being able to stay on the field, and I feel badly about that because obviously Obviously, uh, this is a kid who wanted to be on the field and and just it's a terrible situation with him. I mean, if you look at it from the beginning of last year, you know, you were looking at Amon Richards and Mark Walton, right? Like those, these were going to be their, their two studs yep. and Walton gets hurt. I know now he's with Cincinnati. Uh, he's made it to the NFL, but obviously it hurt his value quite a bit. And now Amon's not going to play football again. So it's a terrible thing. But but I, I'm just, look, I, what I've basically what I basically, you know, come to grips with with the Canes so far this season is that they're probably still a couple of years away uh, from doing anything of any real significance. Now, can, can they get to the ACC title game with their current schedule? Yeah, probably. Um, are they going to lose to Clemson? Yeah, probably. Um, and then are they going to lose a bowl game if they play against, you know, a team of even, you know, quality somewhat comparable to what they faced in the bowl game last year? Yeah, probably. I, I just, th- I just think that's, th- they're good. They're good. But I think what I've come to terms with over the first, what is, what are we at now? Six games mm-hmm. is, is they're just not great. They're just not great because I, rivalry game or no, like I, I would not be surprised if FSU loses all but two of their games the rest of the year. And, and so and, and I, I think we've got a ridiculously tough schedule, by the way. Right, right, right. But but previous FSU teams, you wouldn't worry about the ridiculous tough schedule because FSU would be the ridiculously tough schedule, like having to play them. Mm-hmm. So they're just they're just not very good. And I think we saw that in the second half, and we also saw a coaching staff with with FSU that couldn't make adjustments. And so I, I give to me this this win was on Manny Diaz and his defense. Um, 
But as far as the questions about Rick, I, I think even though, and, and Old Takes Exposed agree with me on this, I know he's got a bias. Uh, I know he's got a bias. I get it. Gators fan, <laughs> anti-Rick, okay. I'm only anti- a little kidding. Uh, but I know he has a bias, but he basically said that the, the premise of the honeymoon being over, I think to a certain degree, is true because they just, again, over the last nine games, they just, they've been pretty ordinary, right? Like, I, I so, I, and that's, we weren't talking about ordinary before this season. Agreed. And and I, I understand that there are real flaws in the program, uh, but I, I just I'm not I'm not going to have that victory, you know, brought down because Florida State struggled early in the year with an FCS opponent or, you know, lo- lost by a lot to Syracuse, which is a pretty embarrassing result or uh, the number of things that have happened to them this season like Florida State was not good, and I pointed out you know, a lot of their flaws on last week's pie with Manny Navarro, but then at the end of it I said, but I'm not going to be surprised when this is a close game because that's this rivalry, and I think Florida State does some, th- some things offensively that they can get after Miami with, and they did. Like They you know, spread Miami out, and they, you know, they found cutback lanes. They have a couple of good running backs in Cam Akers and, and in Patrick, uh, and, and they were able to do enough in the first half to take advantage of what was a poor offensive performance, and again, uh, Miami struggles to run the ball and I think they have you know a pretty significant way to go I would say right now the position group that is farthest away from being at the level where they need to be is offensive line they, huh. they like they're another just, team with that issue huh? right I mean you saw you know on, on the sack the the left guard you hear Jones just got absolutely you know demo- and Nikosi Parrott took some big hits in that game and you know their their offensive line I think is far far away you talk about playing Clemson in the in, in the championship game that's a team that had first rounders last year and somehow convinced them to come back so mm-hmm. if they play Clemson in the championship game it could get ugly in that department but I would say running game and offensive line is still some distance away but you just saw a team that has a formula to win games. And I think that's something that is replicable that they have done regularly in all their games, including the LSU game, by the way, like they got tackles for loss. They got after, you know, the, the opposing team quarterback in the LSU game. And I would actually say that there isn't that much of a difference between how they played in the first half in this game and how they played against LSU. The main difference is that they had at least one drive where they got down the field and then scored the touchdown uh, against, against LSU. I think it resulted either in a field goal or in a missed field goal. Uh, uh, and then in the LSU game in the first half, they had a pick six that, you know, basically made the second half impossible. Whereas, you know, in the second half, you can give up that punt return for a touchdown and still be in the game and create the turnovers you need to get back in the game. But it's it's similar to how, you know, the Dolphins went against the Jets. Like, you don't win unless you create two turnovers on defense that set you up in the red zone so you can finally get your offense going. And then once it got going, I felt like it was a pretty significant turnaround. And you saw, you know, Perry, I mean, amazing throws uh, to, to – to, to Brevin Jordan for the touchdown. And I, I forget who he threw to before that, but just it was Jeff Thomas over the middle. It was a ridiculous mm. throw. And so I, we do also have to acknowledge that this is Nikosi Perry's second start. He's a redshirt freshman. Like, I think he is going to get significantly better as the season goes on, and playing in games like that will help. But defensively, you talk about you know them being about like they're a great defense, a great defense that was out schemed in the first half, and frankly was put in terrible positions by a fumble recovered by Florida State after again their offensive line allowed Nikosi Perry to get hit and dreadful special teams. Which I, I will grant you, if there's an area in the team that you want to have a go at them for, it is special teams because they missed a field goal and they let two punts go one for a touchdown the other set him up at the 40 yard line of Miami and they were not bad punts like this show is sponsored by BetterHelp 
What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap, maybe check the stats of the latest Miami Heat game? I've got a better idea. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. I've benefited from therapy. I went through some life changes, major life events, had some difficulties, wasn't a believer in therapy, but it helped me and it can help you also. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Miami Heat today to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Miami Heat. We've seen some dreadful punting out of this team, but uh, Jack Spicer, who has come in in replace of Jeff Eagles, had a couple of good ones that they just couldn't cover, and they looked slow, and they looked like they were unable to cover punts, and one came in for a touchdown, and one set him up at the 40-yard line. Like, special teams tried their damnedest to give that game away, including a late missed field goal by Bubba Baxa. Like, any number of different areas that they're bad in special teams, that's one thing. But I, I think that they have enough on defense, and I think we'll see a growth in Nikosi Perry to where I, I think Mark Richt has been kind of calling plays with an arm tied behind his back. But I will say, there were def- there was definitely room for criticism. We're talking about Adam Gase having a play-calling kind of blind spot where he wa- he insists on doing it even though he's not that good at it. I think... Uh, I think you can yeah. accuse Mark Richt of the same thing because there yeah. there's a limitation to what he's calling. There's you know a pretty you can basically kind of figure out you know, run left, run right, uh, run up the middle, throw slant, throw go pattern. Like there's there's not a lot of depth to that offense, or at least we haven't seen it because frankly, since he's been calling plays, maybe with Kaya he did it a bit more, but certainly with Rozier and at the beginning with Perry here, he hasn't trusted his quarterback, and so it's been a very rudimentary offense, particularly this season. Yeah, it has, and I actually pulled. This. And, and asked uh, who would you would rather um, have calling your plays, Adam Gase or Mark Richt? And one response I get was, would you rather lose an arm or a leg? Uh, so that's basically that. That's how South Florida fans uh, feel about this. Uh, that's how they move- felt when they were 27 to 7 down. Pull that now uh, and Mark uh, no, had plenty of praise. Uh, uh, excuse me. Actually, Richt won the poll. So I would say, and it was done this oh, morning. Okay. It was done this morning after the victory. Uh, before you, you we did, move you did on, last though, night, though. I, saw, I saw it last night. Uh, after they won, it was after they won. No, it was during. The, I, I was mad, no. and I was mad. I, no, 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 no. That's a different tweet, Chris. I'm oh. talking about. I polled it. No, I saw, I saw the poll during the game, I'm, and I was I, mad I, about it. I was mad I, about everything last night. I, I, I'm finding it for you. Anyway, we're going to close this. Uh, gonna, I'm going to find it. We're going to close the, the internet is forever. I'm going to close uh, this with this from freezing cold takes. This is the official word. We didn't get Fred on the pod, but here we go. Any win over a rival is nice, but does this win over an awful FSU team by skin of teeth at home when they were double digit favorite, affirm Ricked honeymoon. And that's not a question. That's a rhetorical question. I'm not going to allow you to have a response. All right, let's go to the next part of this. I still love Mark Ricked. We'll get to the next part of our episode here in a second we're going to talk some miami heat but first I want to tell you about another of the great sponsors in the five reasons sports network and that is doral toyota where you can find all of your favorite toyota models whether you're looking for a new used or 
certified pre-owned vehicle. Doral Toyota is located at 9775 Northwest 12th Street. That's 9775 Northwest 12th Street, just a few blocks from International and Dolphin Malls. Experience the Doral difference, which means four years of complimentary maintenance and roadside assistance on all new vehicles. In-house financing is available for credit-related issues, so don't worry about that. Also, if you mention five reasons, that's five reasons when you call 305-680-1129. That's 305-680-1129, or come into the dealership. You'll work directly with a dedicated manager, not a salesperson. So that's Doral Toyota, which prides itself on an honest and transparent buying process. DoralToyota.com or stop in at 9775 Northwest 12th Street. Vamos. Let's go. And now let's talk some heat. The heat. Um, the heat. And I'm going to try to unravel a lot of stuff. Man, where do I go with this? Okay. So let me take you to the beginning of this story from our perspective, okay? Without um, – you're going to have to stop me, Chris, if we, I beat our chest a little bit too much, okay? So, so you're going to have to rein me in. Um, but 18 days ago, as we're taping this, Stefano from ESPN – can you say his last name again? Fusaro. Thank you. You're saying uh, his first name wrong in my experience more than you're saying his last name wrong. I, that's fine. I, I, we, I say it's Stefano. Okay, Stefano. Okay, either way. Okay, all right. So <laughs> – All right. So um, he tweeted uh, while I was sitting at lunch somewhere that the uh, the Heat uh, were an option uh, for Jimmy Butler, that Jimmy Butler was interested in joining the Heat. And I made a couple of quick texts and from people I trust and got a response back that that is correct. And so I tweeted and confirmed that Uh, shortly after that, a very prominent national reporter whom I respect. Okay. Uh, who has sources, uh, tweeted out that there were three teams that Butler was interested in joining, and the three teams he mentioned were the Nets, the Clippers, and the Knicks. So the Heat were not on there, and the Five Reasons Sports account got swamped with people who called us idiots, and you don't know what you're talking about, and blah, 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 blah. Um, At which point I went back to some of these sources and said, okay, what's up? And they said, no, you're right. And then I went to more sources who said, okay, you're also right. And then Stefano went to more sources who also confirmed that this was correct. And then over the past 18 days, we've been incrementally moving this story forward. Okay. We're careful about this. Okay. I have a couple tweets I'd like to take back. Okay. Uh, but for the most part, I've tweeted about 3000 times on this. Uh, we've been, we've, we've been, we've been pretty careful. Okay. Where I don't sort of go further then what I know, okay, there's one, like I said, that was kind of out there uh, that, that as I heard, it was, I had gotten some information that led me to believe something was really close to happening. Uh, and so I, I stepped out a little bit further than I typically have over the past 20 plus years when I tend to wait on things and sometimes watch others tweet it or write it or say it instead of going with the information I had. Anyway, over time, over the past 18 days, our reporting has been confirmed. Uh, the Heat were one of Jimmy Butler's targets. In fact, not only were they one of his targets, they were his primary target, okay? Uh, which Mark Stein, who I also respect greatly, uh, tweeted out about a week and a half ago. Um, and since then, we've given you more detail that Eric Spolster is the primary guy in the Heat organization who wants Jimmy Butler, that Dwayne Wade is also pushing for Jimmy Butler, that no team was really offering anything significant for Jimmy Butler. So when those Houston reports came out, also with a reporter I respect, okay? But when those Houston reports came out, I, I assumed that the reporter was probably being used a little bit in that conversation, okay? 
because Minnesota's trying to create leverage. Because I had heard that P.J. Tucker was not involved in any of these deals, and yet Tucker was being put in some of those deals. We've also reported, and Chris, I'll let you jump in at any time, but stop me if I'm going on too long. We've also reported, okay, uh, about the dysfunction in the Wolves' front office. And I know that for a fact. I know that Carl Anthony Towns does not want to play with Jimmy Butler ever again, okay? It's not negotiable. He doesn't want to play with him ever again. I also know that the agent made it clear. And the agent, by the way, of Carl Anthony Towns is Leon Rose, who has a lot of clients. Butler's agent does not, but Leon Rose has a lot of clients. You're probably familiar with him. He's CAA. They own half the league, okay? And in addition to own half of half- sports. Half of sports. They also happen to, and this is not insignificant, they also happen to represent most of the prominent NBA reporters, okay? Which is a reason why you'll see a lot of those stories about CAA clients being broken by CAA reporters, okay? A little inside baseball there. So, Leon Rose is not a person that you want to mess with, okay? And it's been made very clear to the Wolves that Towns does not want to play with Butler. And it was made clear before Towns signed a $190 million contract. So the Wolves are not giving up on Carl Anthony Towns, okay? They just made him their franchise player. I also know for a fact, okay, and this has been confirmed by other sources, that Tibbs and Glenn Taylor are not on good terms right now. The the GM, uh, coach of the team, and the owner of the team. And that, to a certain degree, Tibbs may be trying to get himself out of there, okay? And Glenn Taylor may be okay with that, but doesn't want to pay him his full salary. So there's a lot of stuff that are going that's going on behind the scenes that is beyond the Heat's control. So from the Heat's, so what we've reported consistently from the very beginning is Jimmy Butler wants to be here. Eric Spolscher wants him here. Pat Riley's trying to get him here. Now, some of the other details have been fluid. So for instance, okay, I know for a while that the Wolves were reviewing Whiteside, Winslow, Waiters and Dragic. Those were the four primary names. I also knew that at least up until late last week, Josh Richardson was not involved in these talks. Now, I know there were some reports today as we tape this that he has been involved in talks lately, that they threw his name in there. I honestly, I'm just going to say this flat out. Maybe this changes by the time this post. I have not heard that directly. Does not mean that it's not true. Okay. I also believe, Chris, that the Heat finally pushed back on this today because a couple of the reports that came out sounded like they came from inside the organization because they were meant to say, look, we're trying. We're doing everything we can. We can't deal with these people. Okay. And I think that's why you saw the Josh Richardson thing float today. Would it stun me if he gets traded, Chris? No. Okay. At this point, anything is possible with this negotiation. I just know that he had not been involved for a very long time, nor had Bam out of bio. So that basically is what I know. Do you want to, I don't know how we want to do this. Do you want to comment on it? Do you want to ask me specific questions? I'm just trying to spill everything that's been out there on sure, Twitter. For the sure. So, so I think uh, the main point of contention here, uh, first off is why is this taking so long? I, I, I guess, I guess you can kind of answer that question. Well, I think it's taken so long for two reasons. One is negotiations like this do take a long time. Typically, they just don't play out publicly. So so especially with the heat, right? Like, okay, when Tim Hardaway was traded to the heat, okay, I I can speak to this directly because I was that was the first team I ever covered. When Tim Hardaway was traded to the heat, like that came out of nowhere. Absolutely nowhere. Okay, now there were some rumblings about Zoe with the Heat when Riley took over um, that that might be a player he might try to go get. Okay, if he was willing to deal Glenn Rice, but again, you weren't dealing with Twitter at that time, right? You're talking about the mid '90s. So part of this is the next day's newspaper. 
Right. So we were all chasing the same thing. In fact, the Hardaway trade, I always tell this story. Um, that day I was at practice at LaSalle in Miami and asked Pat specifically. I was a timid, like 23, 24 year old reporter, but I asked, you know, I was totally in awe of Riley at that stage. You know, um, you know, that's, that's what you are. When you get into the business, right. you got a guy who won championships and that, you know, and I've admitted this that I rooted for because I was a Nick fan. Okay. So like I loved his Knicks team. So I'm sitting there at 23, 24 years old asking Pat Riley if he's going to trade for anybody that night. Okay. And he was like, no, I like our team. Okay. So I went on a date. Okay. This is like 1996. Okay. So, okay. Long before I was married, <laughs> I went on a date. I took her to Morton's. Okay. I had a beeper. I didn't have a cell Amazing. phone. I had, oh, that's my I, favorite I, detail of the story. I, I, I had a beeper. Okay. I was, I was given a beeper. And, uh, and so I, I, and there's no Twitter. There's no nothing. Okay. And that night, okay. I call into my office and they're like, I said, is anything going on? I said, yeah, the Heat just traded five guys for five guys with four different teams, and one of them is Tim Hardaway. This was, at, this was in the bathroom at Morton's where they had a phone number. I don't know what I spent on that bill, but I didn't eat my steak. Okay, <laughs> so, okay, so, I mean, look, uh, the stuff with him tends to come out of nowhere, okay? It tends to like, be clandestine. Right, and he hates this. He hates this. Like, I, I had this conversation with him when I did an interview with him like three years ago about one of the things he hates the most is that all this stuff gets out on social media. So if you're in the heat's position, okay, um, like you don't like this stuff getting out. You don't like it affecting your players, right? I mean, how do the players operate in this situation, right? It's all gotten out public. Jimmy didn't help because that his his people leaked the trade request, OK, I heard that the Wolves like just one of that kept in house. I've also heard. OK, and I can report this now that Carl Anthony Towns asked for a trade last year. OK, so he asked for a trade last. So uh, like this has been dysfunctional for a while. Now, they decided to commit to Towns. But again, with the understanding that Butler was not going to be there. So if you're the heat, like you're used to operating in darkness. Right. And, and then and like the Spurs, they operate in darkness. Like that's what was so weird about the Kawhi situation this year it was so uncomfortable for them. When you're a good organization, that's what you do. OK, the Heat are a good organization. The Wolves are not. OK. Right. And so they're dealing with this dysfunction. So I had reported like 10 days ago that they made what was termed a final offer. But then there was another offer after the final offer, and apparently there's been another offer after the final offer, and Minnesota keeps getting to the finish line, and then saying, eh, no, we want something else. And so if you're the Heat, like, you got your guys in training camp, you got Spolster trying to figure out a rotation, they're hearing about themselves, they're following this on social media, and you've got this organization that's basically fucking with you. Like, I, like, I mean, I mean, I mean, that has that has no other because their internals are a mess right, right now. Which is what and, George Sedano said on the jump, which was, you know, Pat Riley called him and or may, well, he phrased it as he may or may not have said. May or may not. I love I. I love George to death, and we'll probably talk after I get off this pod, but, like, may or may not, George. I mean, come on. I mean, I, George and I were texting all that night. Okay, I, look, I, I may or may not. Okay, the, the point is they're not happy, okay? Like, right. that's and, – and that became clear uh, tonight, okay, or today, uh, when you had one report by Shams, who I know the Heat like, okay? I know who the heat I know who most of the people in there will talk to and who they won't. Okay. So so they they like him, or so I've heard. And so there's a report that came out. I don't know that it came from them, but I thought it was a report that was advantageous to them. Uh and then, you know, Barry, who is, you know, you know, digs this stuff up, okay, and know has relationships in the front office, had another report which was very advantageous 
to the heat. Okay. In terms of, you know, we've been trying and they want our firstborn. Okay. So uh, those two reports come out. So that to me is the organization pushing back. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, on this and letting people know we're doing everything we can. Uh, but you know, we've got a, a, a four-year-old on Ritalin that we're dealing with. Like, uh, you know, how do we, how, how do we negotiate this situation? And so I don't know, Chris, when Pat just says enough. Right. Um, and, and that's my, my next question. Is, well, I have a comment and then a question. My mm-hmm. comment is, is like, is this Tibbs, you know, doing something that's specific to this situation? Or because like the thing that I know is particularly when I listen to Stan Van Gundy on Levitard's show is that coaches – very often advocate for other coaches and like also advocate for the world to return to the way that it used to be. And so I do think there's like the slightest bit of this. That's Tom Thibodeau saying, no, I'm not going to lose on a trade just because the player, you know, as the English would say, throws his toys out of the pram. Uh, Like, like that, you know, a player is, is, is in, is in control of this. Like, I think the coaches are, are really tired of the players being in control of all but this. But this is his player, though. That's the other thing, right. Chris. Like, this is, this is a guy he coached before mm-hmm. that he basically, you know, played 48 straight minutes for three straight games, mm-hmm. okay? I, I, mean, I mean, this is a guy he knows, and not only that, but then traded three assets to go get. Now, we can talk about whether Zach Levine was really a great asset entering contract year or whether Dunn had shown anything, although there were teams who thought, Dunn was the second or third best player in that entire draft. Okay. Now he hasn't shown it yet, but, but certainly he had that kind of upside Mm -hmm. and they also traded, by the way, the guy, the the pick that became Markinen. Okay. Who probably gonna be an all-star in the next Mm -hmm. three years. Okay. Very solid rookie season. Right. So, so they gave up three legitimate pieces for a guy who they brought in. And not only that, but they've also brought in Rose. Okay. They brought in Taj Gibson. All right. So like he's and they brought in Luel Deng, for God's sake, at this point. OK, so they basically given Tibbs free reign. And that's a whole nother issue. Like you mentioned, Stan, I'm hoping we're going to have Stan on the pod. But I want to talk to Stan about the, the difficulties of being the, the coach and, you know, personnel guru at the same time, whether it's GM or team president, because really the only person in the last 25 years who's pulled it off is Pat Riley. I mean, the other one is pop, I guess, if you don't want to give RC Buford that credit, but it it almost never happens that anybody pulls it off. Doc doesn't have the power anymore. Stan got fired. Buttonholzer, that didn't last very long, right? Like, I mean, it it just doesn't happen. Okay. And it it doesn't work for the most part, unless you're Pat Riley. Okay. Um, But, but look, if, if you're looking at at their situation right now, like if I mean Minnesota's let Tibbs do what he wants, right? I mean, it, Tibbs is the guy who signed Gorgi Zhang to that ridiculous extension, okay? After he was hired, okay, he he's the one who signed him to that deal that they're trying to get rid of right now, okay? He's the one that traded three assets for Jimmy Butler, who won it out within a year. He's the one who gave Wiggins that extension. I mean, Wiggins' first three preseason games, we talked about a catastrophe with the Dolphins earlier this season. Like he's averaging like four points a game. OK, I, I, maybe it's more than that, but he has not been very good. Um, and then, you know, he's brought in Rose and Dang and Gibson. I mean, he's trying to put together the Bulls seven years late. OK, I, so, I, you know, I, I think I keep I keep using this reference, which the Heat Beat guys didn't get. But I keep using this reference that he's basically George Costanza, you know, driving around <laughs> the Yankee Stadium parking lot, dragging the Yankees championship trophies behind him, daring George Steinberger to fire him. How do you negotiate with that? Yeah. And how then, do you, how and, do you negotiate then, with that? And then the other thing, too, is when you're getting the mixed messages with the owner as well. But I, I do think, like, I do think that this is a guy who's asking for the moon and the stars. 
mainly be, I mean, you can say because he wants to get fired or that, you know, that he doesn't actually want to get rid of Jimmy Butler, which is a real possibility. But I think also because he wants to restore the power dynamic of a bygone era that players like LeBron James have detonated. And, you know, that now has opened the door for players like Goran Dragic to use that. Like, people have talked about how, you know, Jimmy Butler is like the least of the guys that can, add, that can sort of pull this off. Like, Goran Dragic pulled this off, and that's why he's in Miami right now. And so, like, I wonder if that's if it's the restoring of the power dynamic. But I think the big question that most Heat fans want this answer to is, is there a real chance that this doesn't happen? And what would be the reason why it doesn't happen for Miami? Yeah, that's what I have on my text right now. Um, yeah, there's a real chance. I mean, I, I can't predict, as I've said all along with this whole process, and look, you're going to get steps wrong along the way as, you're fluid, as things are fluid, but I think we've had you know, the, the big stuff right, okay? And the big stuff is he wanted to play here in the heat we're trying to get him, okay? That, those are the two big things. Um, but I can't control Minnesota. Like, they can't control Minnesota. Minnesota can't control Minnesota. So, like, so I don't know. I mean, I, could it? Could it not? I mean, my only thing is this, okay? They have to trade him. They have to trade him. Like, I, I mean, you're not – you can fix a coach-player relationship well enough by finding a guy and forcing him – to come into camp, okay, if he doesn't want to lose his money, particularly in a contract year, like there's certain things they can do to him if they really want to go that direction, make it uncomfortable for him. I, I, I don't know if it'll be enough. I don't know Jimmy Butler. I mean, I, I, I've, I've interviewed him a handful of times, to be honest, haven't had great experiences, but I, I, don't, I don't know him, okay? Uh, I, I have a media friend who's very close with him, who really likes him, uh, who says a lot of the stuff out there about him is kind of BS. So, I, you know, it's hard for me to say. But but what I will say is that, look, you can do those things if the major problem here is coach, player, or even if it's owner, player. If it's player, player, and it's, more importantly, star player, star player, that's not fixable. It's not fixable. It wasn't fixable for Shaq and Kobe. It's not going to be right. fixable for Butler and Towns. And look, again, without getting too specific here, this is about a bigger thing than Shaq and Kobe, okay? I mean, Shaq and Kobe was about um, – you know, was about, uh, you know, ego, uh, ego. who, who ego, got the credit, right. who got the credit. Right. I mean, that, that's really what it was about. It was about Kobe wanting more credit and then being tired that he wasn't getting more credit when Shaq was coming to camp fat. Okay. I mean, that, that was basically, I mean, to really boil it down, that's what it was really about. Right. Like there were other things like, you know, the Denver situation and, you know, what Kobe, you know, revealed about Shaq that he shouldn't have revealed. So there was some personal stuff there, but, but that was a big thing. And those guys won championships together. Like there was a compelling reason. There, there is no credit to share for making the eight seed and getting smoked out of the playoffs by Houston. Correct. Okay. So, right. So this is not fixable. Like this is, it's not worth fixing, particularly because Butler's not going to be there long-term anyway. He's yeah. in his last year of his deal. He's not re-signing with Minnesota. It's over. It's over, Tibbs. It's over. Okay? So the only question is, how, how long do you hold him and keep him away from the team? And do you just wait until the Bucks put a Middleton on the table or Washington puts a Porter on the table or Houston puts Tucker with Gordon on the table, which I still don't think is a great offer, but you know, whatever. Okay. Or the Clippers put Tobias Harris on the table or Philadelphia decides they're going to come up and put Fultz and Charlotte off the table on the table. Like, are you just going to wait for that? Because Boston's not interested. Okay. They have assets. They're not interested. Um, the team, the Lakers are not interested at this stage. Right. So, uh, you know, San Antonio went and got DeRozan to replace Kawhi. That's not an option. You could have swapped them. Okay. Okay, that's not an option now. So, like, 
are you waiting for that? Or what are you waiting for? Are you waiting for Riley to crack? Right. I mean, look, you're basically, I, and this is, and this is the the debate we've been having all, all day in our Five Reasons Twitter group chat, uh, which is, what are you willing to part with? Like, and this is the for me, it's been the, the the conversation the whole time because I think Miami could very easily put together a package that'll get Jimmy Butler and could have put together a package that could have gotten Kawhi Leonard. As much as I as we talk about their lack of assets and what's been poor roster building for two years now, they have enough, right? They have enough to make this trade. And the question is, is with that in mind. How much are you willing to part with? When the Heat leak, they're asking for all of our firstborns is because mm-hmm. they don't want to. Ha- they they want to win this trade. They they want this to be you know when you know we look back in the last ten years of the NBA and depending on what Boston ends up doing, the Brooklyn trade will end up going down as a move that the Boston won that Boston won to a historic degree. And I think mm-hmm. now teams want to do that. Like they they, they want to like win to a degree that is almost embarrassing for the other team. And I think that's what the Heat want to do here. They don't want to give up anything, and so basically, but they don't have to. But see, my, right, my no, thing, I, I, under, I understand. Like they, they don't. They understand that they have the position of leverage in negotiation. But there is still one tiny lever of power that the Minnesota Timberwolves have, which is if you don't agree to our terms, you don't get the player. And, okay. And 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 the Heat have to figure out where their line is on how badly do you want this player because. Like you said, there is going to be another offer at some point, whether it's now or in February, where someone's going to get desperate enough and want Jimmy Butler. And are, is the Heat comfortable with losing out on an opportunity to, frankly, overturn the fortunes of years now, which is they don't have a superstar that doesn't look like there's going to be a superstar on their team. And Jimmy Butler was rated by SI as the 10th best player in the league. like, And he can be your, your sort of avenue to other superstars. So how much is this worth to you? And my answer is a lot, but I'd be curious what your answer is. My, my answer is it's not two young guys, Chris. It's not. It's not. It's not two out of the three. Okay. So, I mean, we can have a conversation. I, I, if it's look, if it's Winslow, one of the authors we've heard all along, okay, has and Kelly Olynyk slipped in there in some conversations too. But one of the things we've heard for a lot has been Winslow and Whiteside, okay, taking back Gorgie Zhang's contract, giving them a pick. Okay, this is when you don't have other teams involved. And I know Sacramento, Phoenix. I've even heard the Lakers. There have been other teams that have been sort of sniffing around this thing as possibilities to sort of facilitate a trade. Okay. Now the Lakers don't have any money, but there's ways to clear stuff out. Okay. But what I would say is I would not give up two young guys for him because to me, he's not Kawhi. Okay. And we we had this conversation about Kawhi. Uh, Kawhi is different, man. Like he's a top five player. We we can Mm -hmm. argue whether, whether Butler is top 10. Butler Butler is not one of the guys that matters towards winning a championship, right? No. Kawhi at his best could be. And Absolutely, that's why, and that's Tor- why- Tor- Toronto can win the East this year if uh, with Kawhi. There's, I'm totally confident in that. That they, I think they may win the East. Okay, with Kawhi if he's as motivated as he should be. But Jimmy Butler is not that. Okay, he's 29 years old. Um, he's he's going to be paid 40 plus million dollars in the last year of his deal. And as you know, we're going to have Bobby Marks on the pod this week. And Bobby, you know, said this. You know, responded to me on Twitter with something, and he's right. You know, the one thing we're also not accounting for is Josh Richards is on a really, really good contract. And Jimmy Butler's last year, last year of that new deal is going to be the same as Josh. You're getting Josh Richardson for for four years. So is is that one year of Jimmy Butler at 33, 34 years old worth what you're going to get from Josh Richardson over the next four? Particularly because I posted this on Five Reasons Sports, too. Josh Richardson, maybe he doesn't become Jimmy Butler. I get that. I understand there's a huge leap to make. But 
Josh Richardson's numbers at age 24 were better than Jimmy Butler's numbers at age 24. So I think with Josh Richardson, a lot of it is just getting him to the correct position and putting the ball in his hands more. And maybe he becomes something closer to that. Maybe the Heat don't believe that. Okay. But I believe they do because they wouldn't have held him out of the trade talks as long as they have. So my question, my answer on that is I'm totally willing to give up first round picks because the reality is Pat doesn't care about those. I don't know that they're going to use them correctly. Okay. 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 No, oh, but no, but hold on a second. You not caring about first round picks is a lot different than Pat not caring about first round picks. I, I, I think that the Goran Dragic trade was a mistake because you give up two first round picks for a player that does not change your franchise's fortunes. And while I think Jimmy Butler has the potential to do that, it's not Kawhi Leonard where you know if you get healthy and committed Kawhi, he is changing your franchise's fortunes. Pat's like, going to be seventy four this year, Chris. Okay, I understand he's an old he's old now, right? He still has a responsibility to this organization, and Mickey Arison has a responsibility to this organization to not let uh, someone in his organization make such a, sh- a short-sighted decision like that. Like, what, what, what was signing Tyler Johnson to a contract with nineteen million dollars over over each of the last two years a short-sighted decision? Hundred percent, because Mickey made that one. So, I, so all I'm all I'm saying is, I, you know, t- look. You say you want Pat to leave, and we could have done an hour pot on this, so I don't know how we're going to break this up. But We might have to he, split this into two parts. I just hope we're recording. But, uh, <laughs> but My computer might run out of memory by the time uh, we finish this podcast. Okay. I mean, this is two weeks stored up. Okay, but Chris, look, you say you want Pat not to do something irresponsible, okay? The irresponsible thing for Pat to do is not to give the Heat a chance. That's how he views things. I, I okay? agree, but I, 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 you're I looking think- through the prism of Pat. So I'm saying I don't like giving up players who I've seen can be contributors. Like I know you're not high on Winslow's upside, okay? As as maybe some are, okay? Justice better, okay? I know you're not as high on on his upside, okay? I know you've talked about Josh being 25. I know you don't know if Bam's a cornerstone piece. I believe he can be, okay? But I I think it's too early to tell. But I think, I, it, his, I think it's impossible for a player without. Like, like you would be able to know with his offensive game, like Carl Anthony Towns from the jump. Like the reason why he's, he's not Carl Anthony Towns, but he, his first season, Chris was was better than Clint Capella's second. Okay, so I I, I feel like, like you build your team around Clint Capella. Like you build no, your defense around was, Clint Capella, but like that's uh, pretty good. Defense is half of the game. They I just agree. gave him eighty five million dollars. Okay, I, I I'd rather have Clint Capella than Tristan Thompson at that price. But okay, uh, well, much rather. But uh, look. I, I believe Bam could be more than that, but at least I've I've seen something from those guys. The draft picks to me are draft picks. I mean, the, the Heat don't view themselves as being in the draft pick game because they don't ever want to be in the lottery. Okay. They, their fans won't deal with the lottery. Understood. Understood. They're Ethan. Big, they're big. They're big three Heat fans. Okay, who don't, as Pat said very correctly this offseason, kind of got a little spoiled here. Like you're not going to put them through two or three years. They're not going to go full rebuild. It's never going to happen in this organization. It's just not. But because don't Pat but is, don't think of them as everybody. Else. But don't think of them as picks, though. You think of them as trade chips. And and understand, like, this is a trade in which you cash in a trade chip. But you basically have – you've limited yourself to not being able to do anything for a couple of years because you went and got Goran Dragic. And like, I, I, you, you, I understand, you, you but the Goran Dragic – Yeah, but that's not – that's three a, years time Chris, ago, that, we have that, that one's unfair. That Butler. one's unfair. Chris, they made that trade, and on the same day – look, I, I will be critical of the Heat where the, you need to be critical. Again uh, – for the contracts they have on their books right now, the Dion Waiters contract 
we talked catastrophes a lot here. Like that's to me, one of the worst contracts Pat's ever signed. Okay. It might be the worst. Okay. But th the reality is, okay. You can't blame them for Dragic because we weren't blaming them for Dragic at the time. First thing, Goran has been the player they expected. Okay. So, so it, it's not like they misjudged him as a player or a person that he's been the player they expected. He's been the person they expected. He's been an asset to the organization. He made an all-star team. So uh, look, I don't end they did it, okay, on the very same day that Chris Bosch was diagnosed with blood clots. I am never going to kill them for that because if that team had been healthy, okay. Are they winning the championship? I don't know, but they would have pushed Cleveland. They would have pushed Cleveland. I covered that team without Bosch, okay. They would have pushed Cleveland. They had Toronto in a seventh game, and I know we bug on Hassan here, but if Hassan does – if Hassan, if Hassan doesn't sit out that series, they, I understand nobody respects LeBron more than I do, Chris. But look, they would have been in an Eastern Conference Finals against the Cavs. And for Riley, that would have been an enormous victory considering, okay, what had happened to the organization, being blindsided by LeBron, making dumb signings, drafting Shabazz Napier, okay, Granger McRoberts, all the things that had happened. To be in that position where you're the second best team in the East and you're giving LeBron fits. And I don't know that they lose to LeBron because they, LeBron would have lost three times in this building because he never wins in this building, okay? <laughs> when, when he hasn't been with, with Miami. So I don't know what would have happened. But the real I understood the premise of the Dragas trade. You needed an elite or, or a near elite type point guard. No, but you I, said you said a near elite. No, you when you're giving up two first round picks, you need elite. I got you need I got, elite. I, look, you can kill them for a million things. I'm not killing them for that one. What I'm saying is this. And I know people say I'm talking about both both sides of my mouth now. If if this comes up that they gave up Winslow and Richardson in this trade, okay and basically got Butler, and then it's cap fill the rest of the way, or they have to take Zhang back or whatever. I'm not going to be in favor of it. I'm just not, okay? I, I, because because I, I don't see Jimmy as that kind of player. To me, this is worth doing, considering you're in a leveraged position, if you're giving up one young guy, pick, pick or picks. They have seven of their next eight, okay? That's burning a hole in Pat's pocket, okay? They have seven of their next eight. If you're giving up pick or picks, okay, maybe you get some protections on them, all right? And... All right, you're getting rid of a contract. If they're able to do that, okay, whether it's Whiteside or Waiters, okay, and now Hassan is, you know, looks better this year and he looks more motivated and whatever. And it look, this, you've got a little bit of bump. I call it, it's kind of a dead cat bounce, right? Like a stock market, you got to stock the tanks and it kind of bounces up a little bit. Okay, that's when people tell you to sell. Okay, I didn't do that with a couple of things last week. All right, so look. <laughs> What what I what I oh, it's late. I, 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 would, I, I, did, I didn't do that today with the uh, with the Cincinnati Bengals live money line on BetDSI. BetDSI, <laughs> our, our great sponsor. Uh, so look I, to me, if you can do that one at one real asset and a pick, uh, I'm fine with it. Okay, I don't like trading Goron, but if you have to do that, you do that. If they have to give up two of the three kids. I, I'm not feeling it as much. And, and because they're in a leveraged position for all of the things we've talked about about 50 minutes ago, all right, they're in a leveraged position with Minnesota. They shouldn't have to give up. But that, but that would be my point about not giving up multiple first round picks is that if you're in a leveraged position, you don't need to give up, you don't need to give up multiple first round picks. You're devaluing your own asset. You're devaluing your own asset. And look, I understand that Pat Riley has devalued the asset plenty of times before. The league hasn't. The league still views a first-round pick as a big freaking deal to trade. And so just because you don't value them that way, you still have to think of you you have to think about it in a broader context. And so I wouldn't want like I, I would be more willing to part with the young players than with the picks because there is a potential, there is something there down the line that you offer yourself your flexibility. Whereas 
as they have these young guys, right? They don't have flexibility right now. They don't have flexibility to escape their current predicament unless there is significant internal improvement that maybe you see coming, but I don't see coming. I don't see Josh, Josh Richardson becoming a star. I don't see Bam Adebayo becoming a star, and I definitely don't see Justice Winslow becoming a star. And so you basically, I think you've, okay, maybe not Bam because he's only been in the league for a year and he's a very young player, but. Yeah, I don't know about I, Bam. Yeah. yeah, like we don't know his ceiling. We don't know what he can be, but it just sort of by virtue of the way that the game is played, I don't think that he can be as a big man who's not shooting threes. Like, I, I don't think he can be much more. I than don't just... know that he can't add that, though. Like, I, I, I he, look in his workout. That's what he did for them. Like, I, I believe that some of that stuff is in there. I, You watched him. You know, I was watching him in the scrimmage. OK, and you watch him get the ball off the rim and advance the ball up the court. And then you watch him move defensively. He's not perfect yet, but you watch him move out to the perimeter. You watch him switch. You watch him. And I'm like, that's a modern big. Like they found Agreed. a modern big. And and you're looking to the other thing that, that you're doing is you're talking about these draft picks, but you're thinking about them in the context that they're going to get better players than Bam Adebayo or Justice Winslow or Josh Richardson. And if the Heat are the Heat, okay. This isn't the Dolphins. This isn't the Marlins. This isn't, I think, you know, what I think is going to be the best pro team in the market this this year, the Panthers. Okay, but th this is a team, this is a franchise that expects to be contending every year. These are, we're not, things are, are really wrong if these are top 13 picks, okay? So you're, you're talking about these as assets, like you can't give up this asset because of what this asset means to an organization like Sacramento, okay? Which, by the way, if you just draft the guy that, after one pick after Sacramento picked a guy over the past eight years, you'd have an all-star team. Okay. Let's just do it sometime. <laughs> go, go, go to the draft. Okay. Find the guy that was picked one pick after Sacramento and you will have an all-star team. Okay. So, you know, they've, but picks mean more to organizations like that. That suck. This organization does not suck. Okay, do we agree on that? Do we agree on that? No, but we're sitting in a situation. Uh, do, we're sitting in a situation Pat, right now where the team went out in the first round. I and, understand, and and, do, and didn't do, do anything they, in the Chris, playoffs. Do they, Chris, 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 I'm gonna do it this for Heatbeat. Does this organization suck? No, it does not. Of course, it's so. So, do, but, that, do, but my question is, why are you landlocking mean, yourself? You're landlocking yourself. But why, like but why are you land, why? But Chris, why are you landlocking yourself? If okay, you're if if you're keeping two of your three assets, players that have some growth potential, maybe not, maybe not Kawhi Leonard growth potential, but maybe they have growth potential into say the top forty of the league. Let's just say, okay, best case scenario, Clint Capella, by the way top 40 on a lot of charts this year okay so let, let's just say that you have potential to get into that area let's say that Josh Richardson becomes Jimmy Butler light let's say that Justice Winslow I don't know what's the comparison at this point it's I, I mean they've used to say Ron Artest I don't know I mean uh, Bam Adebayo let's say he's Clint Capella okay so let's say you've got you keep two of those three guys all right and you're you're still you're going to be competitive because you're not going to be non-competitive as long as Spolster is your coach and as long as they some have some of these minds in their front office. Okay, so I just don't uh, draft picks are currency. Yes, I get it. Okay, Pat has talked about being in the chip collecting business for years. I get it, but draft picks don't mean as much to this organization because this organization does not expect to suck. Okay, and and that some, and, but some but sometimes you trade for Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce. And you think that you're going to change your franchise's fortunes, and you don't. 
And sometimes you trade two first round picks to get a point guard. We desperately need a point guard, and your you know your 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 franchise signing gets sick to a degree that ends his career. Like there there are contingency problems that having draft picks allows you to preserve. And we've we've spent the better part of the last two years saying that the Heat can't do anything because they've given away their picks and they don't have anything valuable and they don't have the currency to get things done in the in in the free agent market literally because they've given away all their cap space. You've given away your flexibility. And for an organization that can operate as a big market team, this isn't Milwaukee, you can operate with flexibility. And they, they constantly need it. And I'm not willing to cash it all in. Because, but that's not because, about draft because, picks, though, Chris. That's not about draft picks. That's about giving ridiculous contracts to Hassan Whiteside, it, Tyler it's Johnson. It's all of it, though, Ethan. It's all of but, it. It's, uh, but, having all of it is, is what allows the Boston Celtics to be the Boston Celtics. When you have a bunch of first-round picks, even though you're good, they were, they were making Eastern Conference Finals and still saying, we don't want to give up picks because we, we think that there's something out there. You're preserving all of your flexibility. And Miami has given away away some of it to the degree in which they're they're still going at full tilt when the organ when, when the league is kind of sort of said we believe that this asset is worth something else and you've given it away for less than its market value and that's what that's my concern here is that you give it away for less than its market value because you're desperate to get a deal done when you have a player that the 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 opposing organization in this trade wants just as much as your pick that you you don't feel like you're going to get burned by get rid of them i don't think that we're going to look back in 10 years and go, oh, man, the Heat traded for Jimmy Butler, but they gave up a, the, the next great NBA player in order to do so in Josh Richardson, Justice Wins, Lord Bam out of bio. Like, I just don't think that it's going to go down in, in the annals of history as a dreadful trade because you got rid of one of these guys. But when you look at the, the trades that he's made, okay, the big trades, and what he's given up, he had to give up his best score in Glenn Rice, but you're right. Nobody was worried about it because they got Alonzo Mourning, who became a cornerstone piece. He gave up Lamar Odom after one really good year and Karan Butler's potential for Shaq, but you didn't worry about it because it was Shaq. But Jimmy Butler is not Zoe, and Jimmy Butler is not Shaq. Okay. And so I, I feel like you and I are arguing the same point different ways. We're just, sure. I, we're both, we're, we're both saying, okay, there's a point that you should not go to for this particular player who we both like, but I don't like the end of this contract. To, okay? to, to, to make an it, analogy, what we're basically arguing is I don't want to sell my car off the lot and you don't want to sell the car that you like and you drive now. Correct. That, 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 that's basically what this is. And I, because I, the car off the lot is not because the car off the lot. Okay. Could be a lemon. It, it's not a, it's not a Ferrari. It's not a Maserati. Okay. It's, and it's not even a drought. It's not a drought Toyota. One of our great sponsors. <laughs> okay. The car, the car off the lot is none of those things because the car off the lot. Okay. Is the 22nd to 28th pick in the draft. If things are breaking right for the but heat, what if they don't and, break right and that's, and so they don't break right. And you know what happens? Okay. If they don't break right, some of these contracts, these crappy contracts that they have, hopefully they're going to be able to unload one or two of them in this deal but hope but okay the crappy contracts will be gone okay that whoever's in charge whether it's pat whether it's shane whether it's andy whether it's nick whether it's mickey whether it's eric okay whether it's adam simon okay whoever's in charge okay is probably not going to make the same mistakes 
that the Heat made in the dreadful offseason of 2017, one of the worst offseasons, in my view, they've ever had. Okay. So, because I think they've learned their lesson on that. Okay. That coming after 2016. So, I don't think that's going to happen again anytime soon. And so, yes, Miami will restore itself to its rightful place as an attractive destination to players because they will have cap space that they haven't squandered because some of these contracts will be off the books. And because they are not an organization that sucks. Okay. They've been able to get players who want to come here, like Gordon Hayward, for whom they were a second choice, like Kevin Durant, who they were somehow a third choice, okay, from what I heard, even in light of his other options, which were much better, and Jimmy Butler, okay, who everybody said would want to play in Los Angeles, right, and wants to come to Miami. So these players have wanted to come here, even though the Heat don't have what they should have if Riley and, and Arison and the rest of them hadn't signed these, you know, bloated contracts by a lot and, and had been able to get, you know, have more to offer to these players. So the heat will restore itself to their, its rightful place. Okay. In the NBA universe, I'm not concerned about that. So to me, when you have seven of your next eight first round picks, okay. I think what matters the most, and we can close here, but I, I think or we're going to close by the time this closes, Jimmy's going to, his, contract will have expired okay <laughs> but 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 uh, and and god knows what people are tweeting right now i'm not even checking okay but i i believe okay that what pat cares about most right now and this is not from direct conversation but this is from previous direct conversations okay and other information that i've had pat cares most about putting the heat in what he feels is a good position that that reflects on what he did while he was here by the time that he leaves. Okay. And what reflects on Pat Riley is bringing in name players who didn't want to be somewhere else, but they wanted to be in Miami. And so if that's the case, what's a freaking draft pick? Just if, if it look, if you want, if you want to get one of these teams, whether it's a third team, a Sacramento, a Phoenix, Minnesota directly, what's a draft pick. The Heat don't value them like other teams do. It's probably not going to be top 15. If it is top 15, okay, there's been a problem, all right, and I believe that can be remedied by having the cap space in the future. I don't like the idea of giving up two two players you know something about because I think those players can help the team win now. I, I think those. I think we saw in the playoffs. Justice Winslow can help the Heat win now. Now, if you got to part with Justice, you part with Justice. But I look at Josh Richardson. and I say, you put Josh Richardson next to Jimmy Butler, and who scores on that? Okay, like mm-hmm. that. They can help them win now. Okay, that that wing rotation they would have would be pretty damn dynamic. Okay, Bam Adebayo, I believe, can help the Heat win. Maybe not immediately, but I think as he gets more time, and I think if you're able to clear out one of the other bigs contracts, whether it's Whiteside or Olenek, you know, my preference, but uh, if you clear one of them out, then there's more time for Bam. So that's my thing is Pat wants to be competitive. All right. He wants to be competitive. Now he wants to be in a playoff series. Okay. A one, four series with Toronto or Boston this year. That means something. Okay. And then at least things are trending the right way. These other contracts are coming off the book. So to finish, you don't want to give up the draft picks. I don't want to give up two of the kids. I don't think they're going to have to. Okay. Right. I don't right. Think- I think that like the the endless in all this is that the Heat are in a negotiating position of strength. They're sick of the fact that the Timberwolves don't realize it, and I, I think it's sort of what the, the next step is is when do the Timberwolves realize it? And frankly, I think this ends with when does the Timberwolves owner step in and say this is the best we're going to do? Take it. Or when does the owner say, um, I got to do better as coach? See ya. Right. You know, right. Exactly. Tom, 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 Tom right. Thibodeau, you're fired. Right. And I think that's going to happen. Uh, but I don't know if it happens right away. Um, 
but I think it'd be pretty I mean, hard every, on the eve of the season. I, well, it would be, but I mean, stranger things have happened. I mean, For there's sure. been a couple of Laker coaches that didn't survive two weeks. I mean, I, it's it's certainly. I mean, it's certainly. I mean, David Fisdale last year. I mean, got no. I mean, look at look at Mike Malone. Uh, I mean, the only coach DeMarcus Cousins ever respected. Okay, up to that point, and he got blown out because you know Cousins had meningitis. Okay, and they right. they they got off to a good start, and then they went like one and eight without him. So and, and, and Vivek Ranadive didn't like their style of play, even though well he, he wanted to play four on five, right? right. I mean, but, he wanted and, to cherry and, pick like his daughter's team did, right? And also because and then Mike Malone has subsequently gone to Denver and has played some of the most attractive basketball in the league. Right, and I I think they're a dark horse candidate to be like a top three seed in the West this year. So yeah, look, I, I to close by the time that you hear this pod, it'll all be irrelevant. But hope you enjoyed it. It was about three hours. Mm-hmm.